Some people live with the question, do I matter? Some people live with the question, am I enough? Some people will ask the question, do you hear me or do you see me? And we spend our entire lives, and by the way, this is all subconscious, it just sits there. We're always trying to get ourselves to get that answered in the affirmative, and when it's not answered in the affirmative, we lose it. We're just, we just become the worst versions of ourselves. And so what I would encourage the listeners and all of us to be doing is identify what is that question that you're trying to answer in your relationships, that you trying to get answered by the choices that you make, by the things that you pursue, by your what's important to you. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. And I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. We're more complex than people give us credit for. We can be shy and outspoken. We can be tough and tender. We can be a people person but still need our alone time. We are all multifaceted, nuanced, contradictory human beings. But sometimes life can lure us into believing we have to live as one-dimensional, small versions of ourselves. Today's conversation with best-selling author, speaker, and executive counselor Mike Foster is a beautiful invitation into embracing the wholeness of who we are. Mike is no stranger to embracing the both-and, as you'll learn in this interview with Lindsay and Miles. In fact, by embracing all the parts of himself, Mike is equipped to fulfill his purpose of empowering people to find healing and build strong lives. We hope you walk away inspired today to take even a small step towards acknowledging, naming, and embracing the nuanced, contradictory parts of yourself. Meet our friend, Mike Foster. All right, my friend, Mike Foster is here today on the Living Centered Podcast. Welcome, buddy. It's so good to see you. It is great to be here. I, I love hearing your voices and just getting to be able to have a, have a conversation together today. Yeah, Lindsay and I were doing some uh, pre-production prep, you know, prior to this uh, recording, and we were just talking about how this is going to be fun to connect with you. And Lindsay had brought up something kind of cool that I thought we would... Uh, start the conversation with. But Lindsay had mentioned something on the very beginning. So, you know, Mike is just um, one of those people that people call uh, when they're going through a challenging time. And I make up, it's probably always been that way just because of the presence you bring to the world. But uh, I also make up that since you have made this professional pivot into a little bit more formal of an emotional health expert in, in um, counseling and coaching that that's only accelerated. But mm-hmm. Lindsay and I were just saying, we just both know from the people in our community that uh, you, you often are the first call. And I know that from my chair at Onsite, because a lot of times people call and say, Mike told me to call you. Um, <laughs> call so. number two is Miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I know that's... Um, I would imagine both an honor and in a, a sacred uh, space to to sit with people, but also I would imagine it comes at a cost. It's probably a heavy lift at times, especially since the time we've been in over the last year. Um, so, you know, what's that like and where do you think that comes from in you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because sometimes we spend a lot of time thinking about 
the vision that we have for our life or our purpose or we we take classes to figure out like what we should be doing with our time and, and energy and we got to figure out our gifts and sometimes things just more naturally or organically come our way and we just have to pay attention uh, to what is naturally there and uh, presenting itself and I think through the years for whatever reason and I think I've been figuring out the reason but but initially it was sort of people would make that phone call uh, when they were in a crisis. And I certainly hadn't put anything out there in terms of, you know, I'm the guy to call or I, you know, let's talk about your crisis or anything like that. But it was a sense of, I think there's, there, there was this, for me, kind of my core values of how I want to show up in the world. And I think the first one is just that I outrageously believe in people, no matter what, place they're in, no matter how high or low they are, there is, um, I think I'm a hopeful person. And I think there's a sense that when you are in the darkest place in your story, that sometimes you're just needing a little glimmer, a little shimmer of hope. And so maybe, maybe that's why I get the phone call. I don't, I don't have the answers. I can tell you that I never have the answers. I'm not here to fix people or tell them what to do. I really try to guard that sort of inclination that we all have to try to, you know, solve something or fix something. I really do think that ultimately that those phone calls are made because uh, people are needing hope. I think they're needing compassion, which I certainly, um, you know, I want, I want people to feel safe with me. I think so many of our relationships Unfortunately, we feel like we're gonna we're gonna step into we share something vulnerable or difficult, and they're, we're gonna be judged. We're gonna be looked at kind of in a funny, peculiar way, like we are less than. And I think hopefully, part of my own story and the things I share about my own life and uh, my own brokenness and my own challenges that people feel that they'll they can make that call and know that they're sitting with a. Um, an equal, somebody who knows what pain and darkness feels like, looks like, and maybe because of my own need, what I, I know I needed in those moments, they sense that, that I would understand what they might need to. Are there things that you've learned to not say? I mean, you talked about sort of not giving people the answers or jumping in with advice. The, those conversations, is it a lot of question asking? How do you, how do you steward that well? Because you do. I mean, I think when I hear people reflect back, I think what they talk about and sort of wanting to go to you is just the safety and the lack of judgment and, and those things that you did. But how do you do that well, practically? Yeah, you know, what's, what's interesting, I think one of the things I have to always be very guarded about in my own when I'm connecting with people, and whether that's people just calling, calling out of the blue in a crisis or even with clients, is that my brain works in a way where I can see the solution very clearly, very quickly. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just years of experience or, or just, just being able to have some insight or, you know, sometimes things are just clear because we're not, we're not in it. We're, we're outside of it so we can see a lot clearly. And I think one of the things that I have to really be aware of my own tendency is to rush and give 
context and clarity and define things and label things too quickly. Because really the the position that we sit in as sort of heart healers and, and um, empathetic listeners is not to not to sort of fast track their processing. And just I, I think so I always have to like I see the answer. I <laughs> like, okay, you should do this, this, and this. Or, um, well, this is the problem. If you fix, if you work on that, that will. Uh, and so just holding back and really honoring people. I believe people are smart. I believe they're, they're the most insightful people about themselves. What they need is confidence to actually accept what is true. They need support to lean into the things that are difficult to sometimes say. And, um, and I do think sometimes people need challenge. They need, a, they need a push. They, sometimes they need a, a sense of like, all right, you know, I'm here not just to, to listen, but I always, say, I, always, I always say that I help people find their heart and their backbone. And I think that's part of what good friendship is, good counseling is. Um, when we advocate for people, there is a sense of compassion, but there's also a sense of challenge. And so kind of being aware of both, but not pushing too hard or trying to speed people up too quickly in their processing. Mm. Yeah, well said. You know, it, as you've made the pivot over the years from, you know, a, a creative that owned your own um, a- agency into a speaker and author, um, and then into now, uh, you know, counseling and emotional health, a lot of people I see who are therapists, coaches, counselors, uh, in our space, they have a they either have coming into it or they develop over time a, a niche or a specialty, something that they feel they're just naturally gifted at. But I just am curious with you uh, if you feel you have a specialty or you've um, developed a lane that are like, you know what, I can talk about most anything, but th- this is a topic as it relates to counseling that I feel uh, like I've really developed some expertise in that I love spending time with people about. Yeah. You know, I think about kind of who I work with on kind of a day-to-day basis. And I think one of the the characteristics, it's a characteristic that I think is true. And I think needed in terms of who I work with is uh, willingness. I do not twist arms. I do not force. And so if there isn't a, a willingness, like a real, like I'm ready to do the work. I'm ready to lean into the difficult things. I don't want to be coddled. <laughs> and this is this is the thing that's become apparent to me. I'm like learning about myself. Is that um, I had a friend write something in her book about a, a conversation that we had, and she talked about how how I pushed her. Like there's a push, and I do think that is a part of who I am and who I want to work with people who aren't afraid to like, and I do work a lot with high performers and executives. Um, That's, that's a lot of, so maybe there's a, there's a, um, there's a characteristic. It's people who are, who want to be challenged, um, not just listen to, even though I think depending on what the situation is, sometimes there's just Mr. Rogers shows up. That's, you know, I put on my Mr. Rogers sweater and it is nothing but compassion and kindness. But sometimes, you know, I, I show up in my Navy SEAL uniform and I'm like, okay, guys, 
<laughs> let's we're gonna we're gonna tackle this. Let's go. We don't have to live this way, and to show people their power and to um, and I think for me, so, so much of that just is informed by my own story. Like I, as a kid, um, suffered sexual abuse and and dealt with the trauma of that and working through that and that all the shame and confusion and powerlessness that I felt uh, through through almost, you know, three decades of my life because of that event. Also, working with people who have survived and fought through incredible amounts of trauma and pain and did it with such dignity and focus and strength. I've seen in my own life the massive amount of growth that is possible. And I've also seen it in the people that I've worked with. So there's a bit of like, hey, let's go. We got it. Like, come on, we can do this. And, and I think that's the hope part too. Like I, I truly believe like it doesn't have to stay this way. Hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that your childhood trauma and that sort of living with the shame of that for decades. What was sort of your catalyst into wanting something different for yourself? Yeah, I, I think for me, you reach a point and you reach a stage in your life where you're just tired of tired of the BS that you've been telling yourself. And you come to a, a and life just stops working. And what's interesting about trauma and the ways like childhood trauma, and then you learn, you figure out these coping mechanisms to survive and figure out how to, to work in the world, you know, with all this stuff that's exploded inside of your soul and inside of, inside of your heart. You know, I was, a, I was a great perfectionist, you know, addicted to performance, addicted to people pleasing, uh, abused my body, just lived with shame narratives like 24 seven. And it gets to the point where you just kind of go like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And in Miles, I know you and I, we've talked about this before, like that dysfunction made me a lot of money and made me very successful in a lot of different ways. But man, the price, I, the price I paid for, for that kind of life. And then you just get to the point where like, I can't do this anymore and I need help. And so mm. you raise your hand and you, you get around, you say like, somebody please help me. I can't do it. And it started, you know, I started going to therapy and then really it's what I'm so grateful for. And this is not a, a, a pitch for onsite or living the living center program, but you know, my life was changed in Nashville. It was a born again experience for me where I shifted and doesn't, as we all know, it doesn't happen in a week. Right. But the, the, the foundation and the groundwork and the, the radical just, I don't know, just stripping off of all that stuff and then building true self, Mike, building the person that I, I believe I was always designed to be, getting that, that armor of protection off and getting that shame off. And it's, a, you know, so grateful because, yeah, and this was, I'm trying to think that it was probably three, four years ago, I guess now that um, I was at the Living Center program and revolutionary for me. So it took a long way. And I think what's interesting, so I look back on my story, I go, if I only, if, if the, if I have regrets, and I don't have a lot of regrets, but my biggest regret is just that I didn't do the work sooner. 
Mm -hmm. I didn't raise my hand sooner. And, um, uh, but I'm so grateful with where I'm at today. I'm so grateful for the time frame that it was, even though I do wish, I think it would have been in Nashville yeah. with you guys a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, there's a lot there I can relate to. You and I have shared about this over the years, just the, the story that predated a personal transformation and a professional pivot. And there is something unmistakably soothing, sacred, powerful about um, feeling integrated mm -hmm. in what you do and who you are and how you're trying to live. And it integration doesn't come without complication. You know, I still have a complicated, conflicted story like every other human, yes. but I have a home base to go back to. I have yes. a process and a centeredness that I can return to and, and I'm armed with the tools and to, to, to do that and sometimes do it better than other times, but I'm armed. And I'm curious with you, as you, you know, you experienced the LCP, so we could talk about that. But during that process and then even post the work that you mentioned, you was like, hey, this this one week is a real kickstarter. And then and then a lot of the real work begins once you go back out into the world and figure out what parts I want to change based on getting to know me at a deeper level and stripping back some of what I wanted the world to see. In your case, if part of you as a professional um, is the Navy SEAL and Mr. Rogers, then you'd, in, you'd invite them to the table. Mm -hmm. And what we find is that the parts of us that show up professionally are also parts of us that live within us personally. Mm -hmm. And so I would ask you, as you were going through that living centered process and then on into your continued work, do you feel like Mr. Rogers, Mike, or Navy SEAL Mike was the most helpful for your own process? Wow, what a great question. It's interesting because part of the, uh, one of the exercises we did at the program was identifying kind of our true self person. And um, we had all these props laid out on the floor and we could just pick something that, you know, we, we resonated with or we were drawn to. And I picked up a, uh, on the floor, this little stuffed animal lion. That part of me was something that I think was, uh, had been dead for so many years, covered up by trauma, covered up by shame. And I really think when I grabbed that lion um, in that room and just grabbed hold of it and held it and still hold it today, it's, it's probably the part of me that, that needed to be awakened. And what was interesting is when I tapped into that piece of me, and really maybe it's the Navy SEAL, but I actually think the lion is a great blend of both of Mr. Rogers and the Navy SEAL. Um, I always say lions do kind of three things. They, they kill. And so like, I, I think I have the ability to kill problems quickly. They sit under a shade tree and sleep like if you ever go to the zoo, it's the male lion that's taking the nap, not the female. She's the <laughs> one doing all the work and, 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 and male lions just kind of sit in the shade tree. So like the, the need for rest in my life is so real. And, you know, everything I did in my perfectionism and performance worked against that, that thing of sitting under the shade tree, which is so critical for lions and, and even for myself. 
And then the third thing is the lion protects. And so, you know, as I think about my presence in the world and with people, and we talked about, you know, why, why do people call me? I think it's because they feel protected. And so I think about the lion almost every single day, that visual orienting my life, my decisions, my choices. I'll go into a meeting and I'll tell myself, be the lion, be the lion. Because I also have this picture too of my false self. The false self, Mike, is this picture that I call, I call skinny Mike. Oh. And skinny Mike is this little kid in school who is a loner, an outsider, who was physically skinny and weak. And I saw myself like in weakness. He was a quiet kid. And skinny Mike ran the show for a very long time. And I, I looked at all my coping mechanisms in perfectionism and the people pleasing. All of that was scared skinny Mike running the program, calling the shots, overcompensating for this, this insecurity and fear and shame that he felt about himself. And it wasn't until I could move and really occupy the lion part. And this is the, the beauty of the Living Center program and what happened to me that, it, that, that week was releasing the lion and giving permission my, for myself to be that. And I can tell you that I cannot do the work I do today. I cannot be an effective counselor, can't be an effective coach. I can't be an effective friend, parent without centering on and living out as the lion. And in any time Skinny Mike starts calling shots, I'm in trouble. I really am. And he wants to show his head every once in a while. But those visuals, you know, it's one of the beauty of experiential therapy, right? We have pictures, we have metaphors, we have props that move us out of this like murky stew in our mind and can give us some, some clarity that we can grab hold of and then really start putting the pieces together in terms of what next steps look like. Hmm. That's so good. That lion metaphor, I was so curious how you were gonna unpack it of what the lion meant to you. And um, it's really powerful. How deeply I can tell that resonates with you. Hmm. So you're an old marketing guy. And I happened to notice today when I was preparing for this interview that you're not on social media right now. So I'm just curious as somebody that constantly, I think utilizes or is always looking for ways to reach people and make things accessible for people. I think that's what you've done so well on social media. What's it been like for you to take a pause and what have you sort of learned about yourself in that process? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's something that I do, I don't want to say regularly, but but it's, it, I have done it before in the past. And I think I am constantly, as I think all of us need to be auditing the things that are helpful and not helpful for who we are as people. And I think in seasons, it changes. And I think for me, you know, some of the basic decisions in this season that I've made in my, my kind of personal audit was I've got too much... Uh, information flooding into me, too much input. And so I made a kind of a conscious decision. I subscribed to the New York Times. I subscribed to the Wall Street Journal, canceled those subscriptions, got off social media, limiting watching news. And I just is honoring kind of who I am as a person and honoring my journey. 
I want to make sure that I'm asking myself, like, is this, do I need this? Is this helpful? Is it neutral? Is it negative? And I love social media. It's like, I, I don't do these things to sort of judge others who use it or some commentary on the platform. Those things are, that's not, that's not my thing at all. It's really just about saying, I, uh, this is what I need right now. And um, this will help me do these other things that are maybe higher priority and to focus on that. And, and I want my heart filled with good things right now. And I want things, I want to have less information so I can tap deeper into um, maybe things that have been sitting in my own soul for a while. And so, yeah, I always think like in general, I always tell people it's not so much about acquisition and getting something. It's, it's really about releasing things, getting things off of us, reduction. That's how we grow. And so, um, you know, it's just, I'm in a season right now of doing that. I don't know about you, but I'm in need of a reset. The last 15 months have made it really difficult to maintain the rhythms and habits that I know are essential to my mental and emotional wellness. As I look to further pivots, shifts, and more unknowns in the months ahead, I really want to enter the next season more grounded, self-aware, and resilient. That's why I want to invite you to join me to take Onsite's 30 Days of Living Centered starting June 1st. If you've been feeling like your days are running you instead of the other way around, you're not alone. This course is for anyone that feels off balance and unsettled by the chaos of life. This self-paced program is an invitation to establish the daily practices and rhythms that keep us grounded, even in the midst of chaotic circumstances. When you sign up, you'll receive 30 days of video teachings, short reflections, and practices designed to put the topic into action. We've even built in daily reminders to keep you accountable. How fun would it be to do this in community? If you purchase before May 31st, you can join members of the on-site team and community as we take on the 30 days of Living Centered course all together. We'll be starting on June 1st. Be sure to follow us on Instagram for extra encouragement and accountability along the way. If you're ready to jumpstart your summer with a collective reset, join us. We're giving our podcast community 50% off when you use the code podcast. Head to onsiteworkshops.com slash 30 days together to learn more. I love that idea of reviewing kind of what's working for you. I think so often we just get stuck in patterns of with social media, it's scrolling or if it's alcohol, just having a drink after work or if it's sleep, it's going to bed at 11 or, you know, but let's start to look at like, what if I don't just do it this way and start to be intentional? Yeah, it's that experiment, right? Yeah. yeah. Be more experimental with our lives, trying things, pushing. It, it just allows us to, to explore. And sometimes we come across some really new, helpful rhythms and habits. And so, but to your point, Lindsay, it's like we get caught in the pattern. And I mean, we are pattern people. We, we, that's what we... <laughs> That's what we are. We're, we're wired for just pattern and doing the same things over and over again. And so the audit helps break the pattern. I like the ability, like you said, to just start to retract and get things off our, our plate that might not be serving us or just uh, uh, evaluating in real time. 
doing a self-inventory on what we need in the moment to be able to live into the best parts of, of self, which is so cool. And I liked what you were reflecting on when you were inviting us into those different parts of self. And I think that was such a cool experience and or exercise for others that have never had an opportunity to think about different parts of self and that we actually all have different parts of self. And it could be helpful when you give them names and yes. even uh, give them identities of things out in culture that that uh, you can metaphorically draw from. And the more we get to know them, the more we can dance with them in a more rhythmic way so that yes. it's not always a, a battle of thinking we're all all or none in a way. So if, if the part of me that feels a little bit depressed or anxious doesn't define me as I'm a depressed, anxious person, it's, you know what, there's a part of me that's activated right now and it's feeling this, but there's also this other part of me. And so I love the way that you kind of walked us down that path a little bit. As you know, that's a big part of what we believe in doing here. I also have a, a fond relationship with lions, So, I, but I've never heard it laid out quite as clearly as you did. So I'll be going back and listening to this and taking a few notes. I was like, wow, that is such a cool way to put it. And I'm a Leo, my son is a Leo. And so um, when you really break it down and you think about the complexity of the human mind and that we all have unique parts of self, but then there are parts within the parts. So I love that initially we kind of boxed in the Navy SEAL as that's the, you know, you didn't do that. I kind of did that. I was like, well, that's the part of him that's a hard charge and, you know, no BS. You're going to take it. To, and, and the reality is Navy SEALs go th- are some of the best negotiators on the planet, which means they're some of the best listeners on the planet. Yes. So there's a significant soft skill and relational equity of a, na- of, of a well-rounded and well-trained Navy SEAL that we forget about because they've got this reputation that the world sees of the toughest and baddest out there. And what does that mean? But as we grow into it, I just want to hear you speak on this because I like when you, I like your thoughts around this. As we are growing into a new vantage point on masculinity, and we could even neutralize the gender in this conversation and just what it means to be tough. What are your thoughts on what it means to be tough? Well, that, that is a huge question, number one. And I, I, I am no expert on, on these things. I, maybe I can speak from my, my own kind of experience around this, because I think there's so many things happening in our society right now around what things mean, what is masculinity. And I, I honestly welcome all of it. It should all be on the table for um, for us to discuss and what it means. So that, because I do think there's been so much really bad information, a lot of cliches and definitions that are just not helpful for people and actually bring, bring a lot of wounds to the, to people, a lot of pain to people. And obviously we're all in the business here on this, this um, podcast of healing pain, not, adding to it. And so for me, you know, it's, it's been interesting and maybe we can go back to the lion, the, the protection piece and nobody would challenge a lion in terms of that's a masculine picture. That is a, as a powerful creature without, without question, that is a, but I also don't see lions just kind of 
always showing their dominance, always these large gestures of, yeah, you need to know all the time that I'm in power and that I'm strong and that I can kill you right now. There, there is a sense of um, knowing that they're comfortable with without having to prove. And I think the thing that we see a lot in masculinity is that these sort of very clear ongoing gestures and, and through all different sort of ways. And I'm going to go into the different ways. We know the ways that masculinity sort of gets pumped up and overdriven. And, and I'm not sure uh, that is always helpful in terms of us seeing a healthy picture of what, what toughness is, what strength is, what resiliency is. I like the picture of the lion sitting again under the tree and a knowing, a deep knowing without needing to prove, without needing to. And let me tell you, if there was ever something wrong in the, uh, you know, something's going down and the lion's services are needed, he's going he's gonna to bring the full weight of those resources. That full masculinity will be powerfully displayed in that moment. But I, I would hope that Lion would demonstrate that on behalf of the community, on behalf of others and their well-being, that he sits there in that place and in that, that tribe of lions to add value. I think so often masculinity is about self, is about my wants, about me. Versus how do I deploy this strength, this toughness, this, this um, fierceness into the world to help the world, to help those, help my community, help, you know, when I sit with a client and they are afraid and they are scared and they are overwhelmed, I want to bring masculinity that makes them feel secure and feel protected. And so I think it's, it's really about how it plays out in our lives. And I think there's all different sort of ways that masculinity can be deployed into the world for the benefit of others. But I do think we have to really reconsider some of the bad examples of the over, I, I was talking about overdriven strengths with people. So often we take a strength that we might have and we overdrive it and we overcompensate and that's where we get into trouble versus just living in the strength and living in the giftedness or the thing that we have that, that's unique to us. And we have a lot of um, muscle around that gift. If it's overdriven, we get in trouble. But if we just, whatever it is, the strength that we have and we put it out there, that's when it really is um, helpful to others. And so, mm. you know, for me, I don't, I don't feel like I have anything to prove about, I don't need to go around telling people I'm a lion or that I'm a tough guy, or um, I'll give you a really basic example. So I've gotten, I've gotten really disciplined about fitness, about lifting weights. Okay. I've got a, I've got a COVID gym in my garage. Okay. And I will never, ever take a shot or talk about what I physically look like. I will not talk about 
my guns because I really don't really have any guns <laughs> and not like firearms, but, 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 uh, you know, I will not be flexing. I will not be doing, I will not be posting that stuff. I will not be proud of that stuff. What I am proud of and my goals in terms of strength is how much weight am I lifting? It's a, it's a, it's a reframing of what fitness looks like or what strength looks like. The goal of gaining strength is just about, okay, I have a, have a weight goal. I, I'm not even, and when I say weight, not how much I weigh, I don't look at my BMI. I don't look at the pounds on mm. a scale. It's just, can I, can I lift more today in that COVID gym? Can I put an additional plate on that bar this week? That's strength. That's good. That's, that's how good. we, that's a, just a different way to measure and reframe kind of that scene. Yeah, that whole conversation. And Lindsay, I'd like to hear you speak into this just, and I know we don't have a lot of time left, but because we're, as I said in the beginning, I didn't necessarily want to make it gender specific, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on toxic masculinity. But it, you know, it it doesn't just apply there. Although if we're going to stay in the lane of the lion, I think the lioness is more well-rounded in that they're, um, they, they, they nurture and they raise cubs in a beautiful way, but they also are fierce hunters and actually better yes. hunters than a male That's lion. Right. Um, so, but also it's interesting. I've talked to a new friend and an exec recently, uh, someone who's had significant experience in being a, a C-suite leader and exemplifies a lot of strength. And yet, uh, she said, you know, the, the soft skill of getting to know people um, in work environments historically has been a liability. And I'm not sure I've got that gear. I'm going to have to learn that gear of getting to know the person um, before the profession. And it's just interesting that it doesn't just apply to one gender or the other, even though I think women are typically emotionally smarter than men. But Lindsay, what would, how would you speak into this? Yeah, it was funny listening to Mike unpack it. It just, it was like, trying to untangle it for myself because it feels so complex. And it's something that I feel really tender about. I think part of it being that I'm single and I don't have kids. And I think so much of what gets portrayed as feminine is that maternal piece, which I would say is really strong within me, but that I feel kind of awkward about owning because I don't have kids. And so I think for me, it's just this untangling and trying to figure out, get curious about what sort of I think about the genders and trying to remind myself that I went to a session from Beck G. Cohen, a mutual friend of Miles and I's that talked about sort of the spectrum. And if you identify what is masculine and what is feminine, like how can we think of ourselves on a spectrum of those characteristics at all times and give ourselves permission to lean more into me as a woman, leaning more into my strength and my boldness and my protector and giving you men permission to be nurturing and compassionate and all those things. Mm -hmm. And just trying to put a lot of, I guess, curiosity and air into the conversation around how do, how do we hold these well? And where did this construct come from? It's such an interesting sort of thing of the, the traits that we've assigned within genders yes. because we're also much more complex than it, but it is society and media and all these things do sort of 
compound them. And then it just is hard sometimes to give ourselves permission to be the fullness of who we are. Yeah. So well said. Well, Mike, it sounds like we need to do, we could do another episode on just that topic. Maybe we could get, um, be fun to unpack Sign a lot of what you anytime. shared. Yeah. But uh, Mike, as we start to, to land the plane here, is, is there a strategy or a go-to tip that you would offer our listeners about what you might do to live into this, more into the center of, of who you are? Yeah. Um, here, here's what I'd say. It's actually an exercise I do with clients that has been very helpful to me and to, to other people, but I call it the uh, primal question. And I think uh, all of us sort of live with this question that we're trying to get answered. And for me, uh, because of my upbringing, because of my trauma early on in my life, my, my primal question was, am I safe? And so for most of my life, I asked myself and was always trying to get that question answered in the affirmative. Okay. And when that question was not answered in the affirmative, it was answered with a no, or the, answer, the question was answered unclearly, like it was vague, I would begin to scramble and Skinny Mike would begin to drive, drive the ship because I got to be safe. And... All of us, I believe, live with this question and we're, we're asked, some, some people live with the question, do I matter? Some people live with the question, am I enough? Um, some people will ask the question, do you hear me or do you see me? And we spend our entire lives, and by the way, this is all subconscious, it just sits there. We're always trying to get ourselves to, to get that answered in the affirmative and when it's not answered in the affirmative, we lose it. We're just, we just become the worst versions of ourselves. And so what I would encourage the listeners and all of us to be doing is identify what is that question that you're trying to answer in your relationships, that you trying to get answered by the choices that you make, by the things that you pursue, by your what's important to you. So I built a life of just trying to build safety for myself because I kept trying to answer that question, overcompensating to try to be safe. And it wasn't until we moved from a question to a primal question to a primal truth where I tell myself I am safe, where it's no longer a question and I live simply in the truth of I am safe, or maybe your question was, am I worthy? Where you say, I am worthy, or am I enough? I am enough. Until we move from living from questions to statements, from primal questions to primal truth, uh, I think our life, our life just kind of hinges in those two places. And living from truth, living from no longer having to ask somebody else if I'm I matter or if I'm important or am I safe, and we just know it to be true of who we are. Um, I believe that's just a great starting point for emotional health, great choices having the kind of life that we really want. And um, it's grounded, it's centered. You know, we talk about living centered. When I live from the primal truth of I am safe, my feet are flat on the, the ground, I am ready to rock and roll, I am ready to um, live in my strengths and my giftedness, I am ready to contribute, I'm ready to be a good husband and a father. When we can live from just truth and love 
and knowing, not questioning, but knowing our lives are, are radically changed. So good. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, me too. That was well said. And thank you for being with us today. Your, your voice is just um, so important in the world. And uh, I love the intent that you put behind it. And I love how much you care about the people that you love and people that you don't know. And just appreciate, appreciate you, pal. And glad we get to be on the journey together. Well, love you guys. Thanks for letting me uh, hang out with you today. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. If you want to hear more from OnSite, find us on social media at OnSite Workshops. You can also find me at Miles Edcox. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.